It's a good day, friends, and welcome to Our Power Is Within. I am your host, Chasmith, aka Just Chaz, and I am on a mission to inspire people to take their power back and help people to realize that each and every one of us has a healer within our own self. When we can create an environment that supports healing and get out of our own way, we are truly capable of healing in mind, body, and soul. And so here we are, my official one year anniversary episode. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Honestly, I just cannot believe it. I can't believe how I've gotten this far along with this podcast and how I've really managed to post one episode every week for this entire year. I am so proud of myself, I have to tell you. Um, and yes, <laughs> I am learning and have learned that it's okay to be proud of ourselves. How awesome is that? Um, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening if this is your first episode. And thanks for listening if you've been with me from the beginning. Thank you for your feedback and for continuing to support and sharing the podcast along the way. I really do appreciate each and every person who tunes in, who listens, who supports. And I really, I really hope more than anything that in some way that this podcast, through the wisdom of the wonderful guest, have, um, I hope it's been an inspiration on your path in some way. That's the goal. And you guys, I'm excited for this next year ahead. I really am. I have some really awesome guests that are uh, lined up um, and some new ones and maybe we'll bring some some first year uh, guests back to the show and we'll see what happens. But uh, I do want to ask that you can continue to help me spread this message so that we can inspire even more people in the coming year. Uh, there are several ways that you can help support the podcast, um, as usual, which include uh, leaving a five-star review and a quick review on Apple Podcasts, and then, of course, share your favorite episode with a friend or on your social media and tag me at Our Power Is Within. So, <laughs> this week's challenge, I want to celebrate in honor of celebrating one year in action on the podcast. And um, I don't know how you like to celebrate, but for me, I think I'm going to celebrate by bringing more laughter into my life. I've actually already been practicing this for the last couple of days more consciously. Um, recently, I've come to the realization that I had once again kind of slipped into a um, I don't know how I want to say this. I, I just, I know when I first started DNRS over two years ago that after about six months when I was reflecting on the journey and, and, and noticing what was really, what I was doing really good and where I was still struggling or, you know, just assessing everything. The thing that shocked me the most is I realized that I didn't actually laugh every day. Like I didn't actually laugh that much. And I, and it was shocking for me because in my past, 
I laughed so much. And I guess, you know, as many of you know, sometimes when you end up finding yourself in, in a state of illness or sickness or, or pain, it's like, we lose that. We lose that side of ourselves. We lose that connection to that pure, raw joy, um, that playfulness, that whimsy. And so after those six months, when I had this realization, I made a commitment to really start integrating more laughter into my life and to choosing laughter. And if you guys remember, there was an episode with Bianca Spears all about laughter, yoga and laughter wellness. And um, something she said was, that we get to choose to laugh even when nothing seems funny. It's choice. It's all about choice, right? All of our life, everything in our life is about choice. It all comes down to choice. My life today is a reflection of all the choices I've made so far. So, you know, long story long. <laughs> I just realized recently that I haven't been laughing as much again. I, you know, I got to a point where I started kind of just integrating and living life more, but then I, I let go of and lost, um, connection with some of those tools I was using, like the laughter yoga groups. And, um, there's a laughter WhatsApp group and these different things that really helped me. And so I had told myself I could do it on my own, but then clearly I really wasn't. So, um, yeah, just in this past week or so, I've come to this realization and I really want to laugh more. I want to laugh more when I think of who I am, when I'm unlimited, when I'm just limitless, I laugh, I laugh and laugh and laugh. And so I'm going to start laughing because if I don't choose to laugh, then how do I support the neural pathways of laughter and whimsy and joy like that? Right. So, um, yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to laugh a lot more and I'm going to laugh even more this week in celebration of one year in my podcast. And, uh, you know, there's many of you out there and maybe you're aware of this too. When it's sometimes when it's the most challenging to laugh is when we need it the most. If you're experiencing a dip right now in your pain or your symptoms, or maybe you're having a limbic spike or just any kind of increase in your symptoms, otherwise known as it's, um, it might be challenging to laugh more, right? But this is when we need it the most. We really do. So I'm going to ask you to join me this week for some extra laughter each and every day. Let's just choose to laugh. Let's choose it. Let's choose to laugh even if we don't feel like it. And then just let's laugh at ourselves for laughing. Um, and let's remember along the way that we always have a choice. And speaking of choice, you decide how long you want to laugh each day. You decide the goal that feels right for you. Maybe this is brand new to you. Maybe you've never even heard of laughter yoga. You didn't listen to my previous episodes and you're like, oh, choose to laugh. What does that even mean? And that seems weird or silly. And maybe one minute a day is where you start. And that's worth celebrating. Uh, for me, I'm going to shoot for 10 minutes accumulated per day right now. That's that's my goal. And if I laugh extra, heck yeah, awesome bonus points. But I'm a huge advocate for choosing a goal that is completely sustainable and achievable so that we can celebrate wins, so that we can show ourselves that we can show up and commit to our promises. So 10 minutes a day for me, anything else is bonus points, and you choose how long for you. And have fun with it. Our guest today is Candy Whittafield. Some of you who follow along on the Rewiring Your Wellness blog may know her as Dear Candy. 
with her super awesome Q&A weekly blog post where she answers your questions that you write in. Candy is honestly, she's just wonderful. She's incredibly knowledgeable. She's wise and she's so much fun to chat with. I first heard her speak at the Rewiring Your Wellness retreat last year. And I knew right away that I needed to bring her on the podcast. And I'm so grateful to finally have her here one year later for the anniversary episode. Um, Today, I feel like there is honestly something for everyone. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode with Candy. All right, Candy, welcome to the podcast today. Uh, Thanks for being here with me and everyone listening. Thank you for having me. It's I'm excited to be here with you today. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, let's see, the first time I learned about you was um, Rewiring Your Wellness Retreat, which was, what was that, September 2020? Yeah, September yeah. last year, so almost a year ago now. Yeah, yeah. And I loved everything that you were talking about that day. And so from that moment forward, I knew that I wanted to connect with you. So I'm really glad that it finally worked out for both of us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah, And so for anyone who is listening, isn't familiar uh, with rewiring your wellness, it's a, there was this virtual retreat that was um, last year in September. And then now there's a website called uh, rewiringyourwellness.com. And there are several bloggers and every quarter, sometimes there's new bloggers and sometimes older, old old bloggers stick around. And Candy is one of the regular consistent bloggers on the website. And she does a weekly release uh, answering your questions that you send in. So keep that in mind and check out that website and I'll drop links in the show notes. Um, So Candy, in addition to that little blurb about you being the blogger for Rewiring Your Wellness, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would love if you could just take a few moments to share a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So I am a registered clinical counselor in the province of British Columbia, Canada, which just essentially means I have a master's degree in counseling uh, psychology and practice as a licensed therapist. I do right now primarily wellness coaching for people who are doing some form of brain retraining program, whether it's DNRS or Gupta or Kathleen King's work or, you know, some of the other offerings that are out there and just helping to support them in increasing quality of life and thriving and resilience and moving more towards optimal recovery. And in addition to that, I'm also a registered Reiki master teacher. So I teach Reiki classes here locally and offer uh, Reiki sessions sometimes in combination with counseling and coaching and other times just kind of in and of itself as a way of boosting the immune system, regulating the nervous system. And finally, the last piece that I do in my private practice is something called the safe and sound protocol, which is a nervous system intervention. It is listening to five hours of music, which is split up over a period of time that works with your vagus nerve to directly communicate with your nervous system to kind of reset the baseline back to optimal health and well-being, rest and digest, and out of a hypervigilant or or fight-or-flight response. And that's been incredibly helpful and and powerful addition uh, 
um, for people who are doing brain retraining or, or other programs to really help their nervous system kind of reset. So yeah, it's kind of a combination of, of all of those things that, that I do. And I work with people you know, all over, all over the world, primarily, you know, North America, but I do have clients in, in other places as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's great to be able to, to offer that and to support people in their road to recovery and wellness. That's awesome. What is, is this safe and sound protocol something you developed or is it something that you utilize? It's something that I utilize. So it was developed by Dr. Stephen Porges and he originally used the protocol uh, in his lab exclusively and did decades and decades of, of research on it. And it originally came out actually for children with autism and, and ADHD recognizing the sensory sensitivities and pieces uh, in those conditions that were due to a hypervigilant state in the brain and in the nervous system. And so that's how that protocol originally came about. And then once they started using it and researching it, they realized the wider applications of regulating and resetting the nervous system. And it's only been, I believe, maybe 2017 around there that it became available to other practitioners. So you get trained in it through um, the company that runs the safe and sound protocol and then and then practitioners can offer that so it's mostly you know therapists either counselors occupational therapists people like that um, who can offer that that protocol gotcha so it's not something that people can do on their own well, there is some th uh, therapists who have people just download the app and do it on their own, but that's not recommended and it's not how it was actually set up to be to be done. So the safe part of the safe and sound protocol is about being in connection with a therapist or someone that you trust that helps to create the context of safety and helps to use their nervous system to co-regulate your nervous system while you're listening. And so, you know, there are people, like I said, you can um, find people who will just give you access to the app and do it, but it's not, um, it's not effective to do it that way. And it's not designed to be implemented in that way. And I've had a few people come to me who have done that and not gotten benefits and then come back and done it in the way that it was designed and found, you know, a, a significant difference for sure. Okay, that's really mm -hmm. cool. Something new I haven't heard of before. Mm -hmm. um, so with you have a, a pretty diverse background, but you said that you kind of specialize now or focus mostly with brain retrainers or people in similar programs like brain retraining, like uh, Dr. Kathleen King's Primal Trust. Mm -hmm. um, how, what got you to be like to shift into that focus? Right. So originally, when I first uh, graduated back in 2007, my primary focus was uh, trauma and grief and loss. And I was doing that in combination, actually, with working in the school system as a guidance counselor, um, working with, with children. And I ended up having my own experience of limbic system dysfunction. So there was a combination of factors that, and a whole lot of years of, of chronic stress that led to uh, debilitating chronic fatigue syndrome. And I ended up having to leave work for, for a while and was on disability and looking for ways to recover, believing that recovery was possible. And I found the DNRS program, actually. So I went through that program in late uh, 2009 as a participant 
and managed to fully recover. And in the fall of 2010, I joined the company. And back then, it was very small. It was just Annie and her partner, James. And then I came on board and started facilitating programs. And we set up a coaching program. So I did a lot of their coaching and then eventually became the head coach and trainer and and brought in um, other coaches to, to join as well and worked for them for about five years, I guess I would say before returning to private practice um, for myself. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I got involved with the whole brain retraining component and really saw the value, you know, for myself personally. And then, of course, working with with other people, both facilitating programs and, and coaching, seeing the value and the difference that that offers to people. And so even though it was um, right for me to kind of return to my private practice at that time, still wanting to be able to support people who are along that path and kind of in that journey and also looking for other uh, formats of support like regulating the nervous system and how important that is in conjunction with rewiring the brain. And so that's kind of how I've maybe perhaps evolved beyond just the brain retraining components, but always learning new things and and adding new things and really valuing um, the ability to support people in their journey, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. So do you find having this broad array of experience now, both personally and professionally, mm-hmm. um, and you, you're finding value in these different tools, do you, through the experience you've had working with so many clients now, do you find that um, in certain situations, addressing healing, utilizing certain tools, almost in like a certain order is beneficial, you know? Like if there's a limbic impairment, would somebody Mm want to ideally focus purely on brain retraining for a given amount of time before they address like, you know, maybe trauma healing if there was a lot of stuff or do you work on also regulating the nervous system while also conducting your brain retraining program or does one come first in your experience? Yeah. So I would say, you know, for anyone who is in the process of rewiring the brain or recognizes that they have, you know, a limbic system injury, my recommendation would be to start with that solely for at least the six month time period, if not a little bit longer, because all dysfunction generally tends to have a limbic system or an amygdala, you know, kind of component to it. And so by retraining the brain and settling that down and getting some of those pieces out of the way, then we can start to see, you know, what other pieces are necessary or needed in order to optimally recover. Now, that being said, you know, there's lots of people who do recover solely through brain retraining. But part of my focus is really looking at resilience and thriving. So not only overcoming symptoms, but how do we create a new baseline or foundation of more resilience so that when stressors do come into our lives, we're not so so easily knocked off balance. So generally, start with the brain retraining, you know, adding the nervous system components, so vagus nerve exercises or something like the safe and sound protocol can certainly be done in conjunction with the brain retraining. Um, but again, I would say, you know, start with the brain retraining training first for at least six months and then maybe consider looking at something like that and then down the road if people are still finding 
that there are elements or pieces that aren't shifting. And, and that's not an uncommon experience, you know, where the brain retraining will get people up to a certain point. And then there's maybe a few things that are, that are still kind of holding on. That's where I like to look at, you know, incorporating other potential tools or possibilities to, you know, fully support the recovery process. And sometimes that does involve, you know, some inner child or parts work, ego state therapy, something around that where, you know, we're, we're working with some of the perhaps unresolved traumas or the core belief systems that are underlying and maintaining a less than optimal state of health and, and well-being. Um, that would be a good time to kind of look, look at those things. But to try and do that when you're first in limbic impairment is extremely difficult because you've got that limbic system loop that's running, right? Like the trauma loop that's operating in the limbic system. And when we're stuck in that loop, you know, it's very difficult to discern what actually needs to be addressed versus what's that old broken record that's just playing in the limbic system that needs to be redirected. You know, those are the old pathways that need to start to, to prune away and we, you know, reinforce other pathways. And it's through that experience that then we can start to see, okay, what still is kind of stuck in, in the system and what maybe needs a little bit of extra support. And I would say the same is true, you know, for, for some of the physical components, you know, I've worked with a lot of people who've gained a great deal of recovery through brain retraining, but sometimes there's a little bit of niggling or, or lasting aspects that, could use the benefit of physical support along with the retraining support. And so again, with, with those kind of conditions or situations, I do still recommend starting with, with the retraining, really getting a foundation of that and then looking at, okay, so are there things that I could be doing as a support? So we're not looking at if there are physical interventions, like let's say seeing a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor or something, we're not looking at it from the perspective of, I am unwell and I need this, you know, because I'm unwell, but rather this is going to support my recovery in a more efficient and effective way. And this is temporary as I'm going through this unfolding process of getting back to optimal well-being and resilience. Mm, I love how you uh, said that. That's so perfect because language and the language that we choose to use around the choices we're making through this process play such a huge role. Mm -hmm. Um, I know something that I'm always telling myself is like, I'm reminding myself when I make these choices to yes, do, do these additional things for um, optimizing my lifestyle that I do remind myself that because I always want to be in a position of empowerment. So it's like, I I don't, I'm not going to say I absolutely need these things to be good, to be better or to feel well, but I look at it as a choice I'm making towards optimizing my well-being, Mm -hmm. towards like supporting, because if you can support your system in multiple ways without feeling, you know, like overwhelmed or stressed about, about it, then it's like, you're kind of, in a sense, you're helping it tenfold because you're supporting it in different ways rather than saying, because I think, and I, I know I've talked to people who've gone through this and I've personally gone through this. There was a period when I first started brain retraining where I almost became completely against the, any possibility of using any type of physical tools or support systems. Mm-hmm. Cause I wanted so badly to just believe that I could totally heal from a purely, um, 
you know, mental perspective or, uh, you know, spiritual energetic where I was going to do the brain retraining and that was going to be enough. But the longer I went on, I started realizing that I didn't have to go from one extreme to the other and it didn't have to be all or nothing on either side and that I could change my relationship with something and my like perception about it and then still use it as a tool. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, absolutely. And perspective is, is everything, right? Like how we orient to our retraining, how we orient to including some of these other things plays a huge role in the impact that that has on our, and our, on our system. And, you know, we know from the nocebo effect, which is, you know, the opposite of the placebo is that when we have negative expectations and we're expecting, you know, a certain outcome, we will actually release the neurochemical to create that outcome, regardless of whether that would have been, you know, the outcome with what we're doing or, or not. And so it is really important to be mindful of how we are orienting to things, you know, to me, that is almost as important as what it is that we're doing. And I would say that that applies to the brain retraining, you know, steps and and programs in and of itself. Like I know there are some, sometimes people get to a point where they've been doing it for a while and they're kind of feeling frustrated about perhaps not having the the level of progress that they're wanting and so they're orienting to their retraining from this place of oh I got to do this again and you know I don't want to do my rounds and you know and and as soon as we have that that level of of negativity or or dread or or frustration and we start to entertain that you're actually you know offsetting the benefits that you you're getting through your retraining process because that negative orientation or perspective is reinforcing the maladaptive pathways in your limbic system, right? And and right. in your brain. And so it it kind of has a, a countering effect to all of the good that you're doing. And then no wonder, you know, people are are sometimes struggling to to kind of see the pro the progress or process. And that's also the same as, you know, any physical intervention that we're doing if we're orienting to that of I'm not well and I need this and I have to do this because I'm not well, you know, those are messages we're sending to, to our brain, which will again, sometimes get in the way a little bit of getting the progress that we want as, as quickly as we want. And so we do want to be really aware of what are the thought processes and the beliefs around what we're doing and how can we, you know, if, if some of those more negative beliefs are coming up, how can we change things up or reorient our perspective or challenge those beliefs a little bit so that we're not inadvertently reinforcing the pathways that we're trying to undo. Gosh, that makes so much sense. And you explain things so wonderfully well. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And again, just again, that's another thing I can totally attest to on a personal level is I know there was also a period further, much, much further on in the brain retraining where I did feel significantly better, but I think there was still some stories that I had around, oh my God, but I have to do this or I won't stay well. Oh my God, I have to still do these rounds or I won't continue to get better, you know, where it almost Mm -hmm. becomes this it's not, you're not doing it with the same, because there was a period where it was so much joy approaching it. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I felt like I'm manifesting and creating, you know? And then there becomes almost this fear that if you don't do it, you're going to not stay well. And that's also, again, a perception that doesn't support us. 
Absolutely. So Absolutely. it's just, it's interesting to have gone through this and to see all the different layers and the different things that show up at different periods and what mm-hmm. we get to peel back and what shows up now and how can we shift. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a process of unfolding, you know, yes. over time you get to kind of different, different places at, at different periods of time. And you bring up a really good point. You know, we want to be mindful also of, the level of rigidity or inflexibility that sometimes develops after a while of implementing a program and really recognizing, okay, so when we're in that mindset of I have to do it exactly this way and I can't, you know, start to let go of these tools, even though maybe I'm better or seeing a a lot of progress, that's coming from a place of fear, right? And the brain, the limbic system, we know, uh, resists change it and it fears the unknown and it fears the uncertainty and so we want to keep in mind too that part of the recovery process of moving towards optimal well-being is eventually being okay with starting to let go of the tools as we are um, better and better and to start to really orient our attention away from retraining and back into developing and sustaining a quality engaged life and I see with clients sometimes that that's a very difficult transition for a lot of people, you know, that the, there's the fear of letting go of the tools, or perhaps if I'm not implementing them exactly in the way that I was taught at, at the program, that it's not going to work. And when that comes up, I like to remind people of the importance of really having the underlying understanding of what it is that you're doing and to recognize that there are a multitude of different ways to retrain the brain. And if we have that understanding of why it is that we're, we're, we're using the tools or what it is that we're trying to make happen through using those tools, we can take that understanding and we can start to apply it into more of the quality of life Uh, engaged fun activities that help us to start to get back to living our lives. So our lives eventually are no longer centered around the rewiring process, but still sustaining those optimal pathways as we're, you know, going about, you know, a full life again. I'm glad you brought this up. This is actually super pertinent to one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Okay, great. Um, Well, one, let's take part one here. What in what ways or what examples could you give in how somebody could utilize those tools as they're creating the life that they, you know, want to live? Like you were just saying, like, how Mm -hmm. can we use them now to support us in creating this life as we're starting to feel better and better over time and shifting? Right. So ultimately, you know, ultimately what we want to keep going with after, you know, we're done sort of the more formal brain retraining aspects is the understanding of maintaining the optimal pathways and how we maintain the optimal pathways in our brain is by continuing to catch, you know, the automatic negative thoughts or pops or cognitive distortions. They're all the same thing. It just depends what term you want to use to, to talk about them, but really being 
that curious observer to catch those uh, maladaptive thought processes and to continue to elevate our emotional state because it's that elevated emotion that really continues to reinforce the new pathways in the brain and blocks you know the inflammatory response and blocks the stress response and and all of those parts at the same time and so we start to look at okay so how do I continue to elevate my emotions you know on a daily basis or at various points in time throughout the day in a way that's more conducive to being back out and and living my life and so that's where you know finding activities or hobbies or things that kind of fill you up feed your soul give you a sense of purpose fun childlike playfulness you know or enjoying creativity art beauty any of those things are valid very valid and very useful and you know what that looks like is is generally different for each individual just based on your your own personal preferences and what really kind of feeds you or or elevates you personally and so you know, we want to start to look at, okay, what can I include in my everyday life that's going to keep those healthy pathways optimized and sustained and to continue, you know, and with the cultivating of the curious observer and the stopping of the thoughts. And usually by the time people are done any kind of brain retraining program, part of that is really automatic. It's just habitual now because it's been going on for, for so long. Um, but it is helpful to have ways of also continuing to support that level of of mindfulness so whether it's some form of mindfulness practices or perhaps you know brief meditations every day to kind of continue to reinforce and cultivate that curious observer that that can be really helpful for people as well oh this is so good okay so basically what you're saying in a, in a sense um regarding elevating your emotional state so we use, we start in this brain retraining program where we're taught how to, we, we're taught tools like visualizations where we're able mm-hmm. to learn how to consciously elevate our emotional state on our own through, say, a visualization. Mm-hmm. But you're saying as we begin to feel better and start shifting into creating this life that we want to live, that this can, in a sense, rather than feeling this, um, pressure that we need to sit down and purely elevate through like a visualization, Mm -hmm. we can actually go out into life and do an activity or engage or do things that still elevate our emotional state. Absolutely. And reap the benefits. Absolutely. So you're starting to actually engage and live in what you were creating those visualizations. So we're moving from sort of the mental rehearsal of seeing ourselves healthy and well and out in the world to actually being healthy and well and out in the world and then capitalizing on the emotional states that occur as a result of actually living living this experience. And so that's where, too, it can sometimes be helpful to incorporate that level of mindfulness when where when we are out and about and we're having a really great time or a really great moment to stop it to just take it in like breathe it into yourselves to savor that that moment to kind of cherish those experiences as we're living them and that also will give us you know kind of another level of neurochemical hit if you will of the positive healthy neurochemistry that keeps our brain operating you know optimally in those new pathways because the bottom line is our brain continues to be plastic 
and changeable. That that never, you know, goes away. So we do want to make sure that we're doing things to keep those healthy pathways reinforced in small ways so that that continues to be the dominant way that our brain operates. And then that also contributes to a level of resilience so that when we do encounter, you know, stressors or life happens, because inevitably it does, right? When we're engaged in the world, life sometimes happens and things are, you know, not always just swimming along beautifully, um, that we have a capacity and a level of resilience to handle those experiences in a way that doesn't knock us off balance in the same way that it did when we're, you know, in the throes of limbic system impairment. Right, right. This is so good because um, I know through conversations with people and again, admitting myself that there would be, there was a period of time where I would feel better and I would get to go do the things I loved and it would bring me so much joy and gratitude and peace. And yet I felt this pressure in the back of my mind that, oh, well, you know, while you're here, you should still do a round or you should Mm. still do a visualization. And then like, there was this other part of me that really struggled with that, which was like, wait, why would I take myself away from this beautiful moment Mm -hmm. to like mentally rehearse something when I'm here living this moment, I can just be in it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So that's that transition from, you know, mentally rehearsing to actively engaging and, and, you know, being okay with that transition, which is a little bit of a process of letting go for some people it's like you know it's kind of like the training wheels the the rounds and so on are are kind of the training wheels on the bike and and you're starting to let that go and be more out in the world again and and yeah when I I have people ask me that quite often it's like well you know when I'm out and doing this should I do a round and I'm like are you feeling great and really enjoying your experience yes well then that is your round in, in, in essence right like you look at what the purpose of the round is is to you know elevate your emotional state and to be in this place of well-being with what it is that you're you're doing or experiencing and you're already there so that you know we want to just capitalize on that and savor that and enjoy that because that is the goal you know the goal isn't to be stuck in retraining for the rest of your life the goal is to use the retraining to get back the quality of life that you want so that you can go and do and enjoy Mm -hmm. I love this um something that I did for a long time and I actually still do once in a while for fun um I called them now rounds Mm mm-hmm And so what I would do if I was out on my walk, my daily walk with my dog, is I would actually walk myself through my visualization, like how I would in my visualization, but I would do it in the present moment. Like, so it was wonderful in say spring or fall. And I would actually like speak out loud to myself and it, and really notice the changing of the colors of the leaves or the leaves on the ground or how the clouds looked in the sky or the way the sunshine shimmered on the leaves. Mm. And I think what that did was really, really helped me orient and be really present with it and really take it all in and connect with that sensory experience of it rather than, you know, I could just be out on this beautiful walk and I could let my mind start wandering, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about past and future and this obligation and what I need to do when I get home. So I found these now rounds really helped me be really in that moment and really take it in. 
That's great. Yeah. Anytime we're having, you know, a positive experience, the more present we can be in the moment, the more we can use our senses to really take in and experience the moment, the more benefit, you know, your system is, is going to get from that, you know? So that's, that's a beautiful way to, to do it. Good for you. It was fun. I, I still bet. do it on the beach. <laughs> I still do it on the beach if I catch my mind wandering. Sure. If I catch myself worrying about what I have to get done for the day rather than being present to like what's mm-hmm. all around me, I just bring myself back to that. That's great. That's great. And just before we move on, I did want to say, you know, you can still include some visualizations or or mental rehearsals for the future, even if you are healthy and, and well and, and functioning optimally. You know, it doesn't it doesn't hurt to still add that that element you know for myself not consistently all the time but quite often I will go through periods of time where I like I absolutely love Joe Dispenza's meditations you know and I will go through a period of time where I'm listening to those consistently and so you know I am creating this this reality for myself and continuing to project that into into the future and so you know these tools we can still use them once once we're better but we just don't want them to become a crutch that prevents us from getting out and actually moving back to living in in our world and having that that quality of life right yes that makes so much sense and so there's actually another question I wanted to ask you that's totally pertinent to all this because now we're talking about these really beautiful ways that we can start saying yes to life and and in, you know in, in ways that we can sustain our well-being as we're creating this life. Well, mm-hmm. sometimes what happens, I've I've personally experienced and witnessed through a lot of um, connections, is that we start to feel better, and we end up kind of almost popping back right into the life that we used to live, mm-hmm. or we just maybe go too big too fast, mm-hmm. and then we end up in a dip, you know, or a you know. Co- I don't like to call it a setback, but like a dip or the limbic spike or all of a sudden we're feeling a little disoriented. And so do you have suggestions um, for people to, um, in in regards to that, you know, area, like how they can integrate back into life, but create this life that supports this healing state and and not jumping back into like full swing, you know, where you end Mm -hmm. up right back in that adrenaline infused state. Absolutely. So that's a really good question and a really good point. And this, this does come up a lot. And so from my perspective, recovery or retraining is two parts. There's the one part, which is, you know, overcoming the symptoms that are showing up and getting back into functioning in life. And then the other part, part two, if you will, is how to cultivate thriving and resilience on a long-term ongoing basis. And that second part requires us to also start to look at the underlying patterns that perhaps led to limbic system impairment or made us more susceptible to limbic system impairment in the first place. So there are certain personality characteristics or qualities that are very pervasive in, you know, people with limbic system dysfunction, things like perfectionistic tendencies, type A personalities, you know, 
know, people kind of addicted to that adrenaline rush, go, go, go. You can have helper, you know, the helper caregiver characteristics where it's all about, you know, giving to everyone else and not necessarily taking care of self. Uh, We can also have underlying core beliefs. You know, our core beliefs are developed usually by the time we're about the age of six based on what's imparted to us by primary caregivers and, and the people around us. So we can have belief systems that are also, you know, conducive to not necessarily health, health and well-being or optimal functioning or taking care of ourselves in the way that we really, you know, need to for, for well-being. And so part of the recovery process, and this is where you know, I think the Gupta program, from what I understand, I haven't taken it personally, but I've talked to lots of people who have, does a pretty good job of starting to look at, you know, some of those personality characteristics that can sometimes contribute to to limbic system dysfunction. And I certainly do that in my coaching sessions with people when they're at that point in their recovery to start to bring to conscious awareness, some of these underlying patterns so that what we, what we're, sorry, we, we can't change what we're not aware of, right? So by bringing it to awareness, we can start to address it and we can start to take different actions and, and begin to, to change some of those, some of those processes and patterns. And, and sometimes it does uh, require us to kind of reevaluate pieces like self-worth. And I'll give an example of that. So Uh, in my own upbringing, achieving and doing was extremely important. You know, it was kind of that underlying message of you're only as good as what you get done in a day. And so with something like chronic fatigue, where I was unable to get much of anything, you know, done in a day, it really impacted my self-worth and my perspective of who I was and how valuable I was or, or what I had to kind of offer the world. And so part of my recovery process was reevaluating evaluating, you know, how I, how I see my self-worth and where that actually comes from and starting to reorient from a doing perspective to a being perspective, you know, how I am in the world um, can bring worth and esteem and value to my life, you know, even in how I interact with other people, how I interact with, with myself. And so it is important to start to become aware of, okay, what, what are those underlying tendencies and start to challenge them. And the beautiful thing about recovery is we get this unique opportunity to start to create a life again as we're putting our life back together in the way that we want and to really start to look at what's important to us, what we value, how we want our our life to kind of play out, how we want to be in the world. And oftentimes people you know, we'll get a little bit anxious about that. It's like, okay, well, if I if I give up my go, go, go Mach 2 with my hair on fire <laughs> tendencies, which mm-hmm. was certainly one of mine, you know, like, then who am I? How am I in the world, you know? And, and what does that mean? And, you know, the beautiful thing is as we're going through this process of recovery and we're starting to get out in the world again, we can start to experiment and play with the possibilities of how we want to be. And we can try on, you know, different, different, 
different ideas or different ways of being in the world and see how it fits for us. And it's a process of unfolding. It's not something that we have to kind of figure out today and have, you know, perfect. If something doesn't fit, we can, we can change it. If we start to butt up against, you know, maybe another belief system is coming up, we can work with that. We can start to unfold that in a different way. We can start to take action in a different way, you know, that's a more conducive to optimal well-being and will stop us from going to that place of, you know, just right back into the old patterns. And then sure enough, you know, another massive stressor or something comes along and you're back into, you know, limbic system impairment. We don't, we don't want to keep going through, through that cycle. And so in order to stop that cycle, it is important to kind of look at, look at these underlying pieces. Right. Yeah. What, this is good. Okay. What do you say to somebody though, that does end up in that setback? What is your suggestions for them to get um, to now navigate getting back to well-being once again? Right. And so setbacks happen, setbacks occur, and, you know, we can recover again. And the beautiful thing about if that happens is they've already done it once, they've already recovered once and gone through it. So they know they can do it this time, right? Whereas the first time we approach limbic system retraining, there maybe is a little bit more of, of that doubt, right? And so um, to keep in mind that sometimes that happens. And, and so to start to really get back on track with, with the tools again to start to actively implement whatever brain retraining program they're doing again and I've seen you know time and time again even with setbacks if people jump on it right away and get right back into retraining it's usually a lot less time to get back to optimal functioning because they have the foundation of of healthy pathways that they've created up until you know this setback you haven't lost that and because the setback just happened and you're jumping immediately into retraining, there isn't really the opportunity for those maladaptive pathways that are now showing up again to really take hold or take root um, in the same way that they maybe did the first time around, because often, you know, people don't come to the the programs or find the programs right away. So those maladaptive pathways have had a bit of time to kind of get established or get reinforced. And so it is often a much easier process, you know, second time around or third time around or, or whatever. And, you know, that's also a good opportunity to start to look at, okay, so, so let's actively get back on the horse and really implement the program and get to that place of well-being. And then let's take some time to work on, you know, how to identify some of those, you know, underlying patterns that might be contributing to keeping your system a little bit less resilient and start to look at, you know, how we can support your system in, in a variety of ways to uh, become more, more resilient. And that's where I think the nervous system tools like vagus nerve exercises and the safe and sound protocol can also be, you know, super helpful in cultivating that foundation of, of more resilience. So we're less likely to have those setbacks. But, you know, I like people to know that those aren't uncommon, you know, and if it happens to you not to panic, you know, the last thing we want to do is start to go into fear and start to entertain all kinds of automatic negative thoughts, because then you're just feeding the pathways even more, but to recognize, okay, this was a setback, I have the tools, I'm going to really actively implement those tools again, and trust that my new foundation is strong enough that I'm going to be able to pull myself out. And it might even be relatively easy and quickly to do that. 
yeah, yeah, not, not to panic. And also I would say not to beat yourself up, like not to get into that like place of judgment, like, oh my gosh, you did something wrong. You right. did it again. You know, that, that yeah. like stream of thought where, oh, I, I, you know, how could I do this or mm-hmm. how could I let this happen? Like none of that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is another pattern. I'm glad you brought that up because that is another very common pattern with people with limbic system impairment is really hard on self, you know, like that self-criticism, self-judgment, really high expectations for self. And that's why, you know, as I talked about in my, um, presentation for rewiring your wellness, the importance of self-compassion to start to bring in that level of gentleness and loving kindness and self-compassion toward yourself and toward the process, right? Of, okay, you know, yeah, something happened. And, and sometimes, yes, maybe we could have foreseen that, but you know what, we're human and, and we all make mistakes and that's okay. You know, that's part of, that's part of the human experience. And sometimes it more happens that something happens to us, like a, let's say a car accident or, or something like that, that maybe isn't your fault and something happens. And sometimes the other place people can go is, you know, that sort of why me and why is this happening again? And am I not, you know, worthy and deserving of well-being? And that's why the universe is creating these experiences to kind of bring back. And, and that's not the case. It's just, you know, sometimes life happens and things happen, or perhaps we haven't quite you know, learned what we're meant to learn or have gotten as much out of, of the recovery in the way that is most optimal to us. So we're being given another opportunity to, to take it to a deeper level, you know, of our own well-being and, and thriving, you know, so we want to really just be gentle with self for sure. Yeah. I love that you just said that. That's so important. I know that means so much to me. I think it's so important to just for myself, anyhow, to always bring myself back to that Mm -hmm. and remind myself that there's a reason, like everything in life is actually happening for me. And how you just said, like, maybe this is just an opportunity for me to like deepen my practice or Mm -hmm. heal on even a deeper level that I hadn't experienced the first time. Or I, you know, I kind of, I remember all through the um, first like two years, if I had any limbic spikes or dips, I honestly always felt like after that came always a major breakthrough. And so it's just like a reminder that, Hey, this is just another opportunity for some major breakthrough or a new like learning at an even deeper level and um yeah possibly peeling back some other layer of myself or a part that's not serving me so absolutely absolutely and when our intention is to really have that deep healing so that we can have an optimal quality of life and thrive you know we will be presented with opportunities to go deeper with that or or take that even more deeply if if that's what's required or or needed and you know I've certainly experienced that for myself as well you know five years ago I had um car accident that that created a bit of a setback if you will or or a spike in in some of the things that I thought were completely resolved and and so it gave me an opportunity to start to explore a little bit more deeply and that's when I came into uh, contact with the safe and sound protocol and a deeper understanding of nervous system and nervous system regulation and how that fits with resilience and how it contributes to a deeper level of resilience and now you know I'm so grateful for that experience because 
because without that, I'm not sure I would have found that program, you know, for myself or to be able to work with that with with other people. And I see how profound that understanding is and that, you know, those tools, whether it's safe and sound or other nervous system, you know, tools, how that is such a crucial piece in cultivating resilience. And so, yeah, these things do happen for a reason. And there often is a silver lining on the other side. We don't necessarily see it in the moment while it's happening. But afterwards, you know, you can kind of see why things played out the way that they did and the gift that that came because of that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, okay. So obviously, like we're talking about, sometimes life happens. Sometimes things just happen. Like you couldn't foresee this car accident. Mm -hmm. And then we are, we can be grateful that we have these tool, these beautiful tools to use. Mm -hmm. Now, do you, um, sometimes we know, we almost know that there's going to be a stress, like a major stressor in our life. Like we can see it coming, you know, for example, like um, you know that your dog is really sick and they're dealing with cancer and you know that there's going to be a day that you have to put them down, like make right. that hard choice. I say that cause that was a personal experience I recently had. Yeah. Um, you know, or, you know, a person who's got like a sick parent or right. whatever, you know, there's just different things that can be a high level, like a hot, considered a high stress experience. Mm-hmm. Do you have suggestions for somebody to, in a sense, better prepare Mm -hmm. to navigate through these experiences? Yeah. So what's really important when we know that there's a stressor coming up, that we do everything that we can to optimize, you know, the healthy pathways in, in the brain. So elevating emotional states, really staying out of the automatic negative thoughts, you know, that might come up is really important. Now, that being said, you know, those things will provide a buffer to be able to handle experiences. But the example that you gave is also an experience that includes a component of grief or a component of loss. And that's a little bit different than, let's say, a stressor like maybe we're we're moving, you know, moving is stressful for anybody, limbic system impairment or not, generally speaking. And so, you know, using using the tools, like I said, upping your practice, really, you know, pacing yourself, taking time to to have moments of of fun or elevation, even while you're in the process, let's say, of of moving, really setting it up so as soon as you get to your new place, you instantly make and create positive memories in that space. All of that, those kinds of things is going to be, you know, a buffer and to contribute to a little higher level of resilience. Now, when you're talking about the loss of, of a loved one or a, or a pet or an impending loss, you can kind of see it coming down the pipe. There's another aspect to that where, you know, this is life happening and that it is important for us to be able to feel the feelings for the things that we cannot change or control and to allow ourselves to have that emotion to move through us. So emotion is energy in motion. It's meant to be something that moves through our system. And if we treat that in the same way that we would treat, let's say, the moving stress, for example, that that I just gave that example where you know we're shutting down any kind of thoughts or emotional states and we're only elevating our emotional state that stuff is going to build up in your system and it's going to be like a pressure cooker or or a volcano where eventually 
it's going to have to come out. So what you're better off doing in those situations is giving yourself time and space to feel the feelings for the things that you cannot change. Maybe consider doing a little bit of expressive writing, you know, like I've talked about in my blogs where you're, you know, 10 to 15 minutes for perhaps up to three days in a row where you're writing your deepest thoughts and feelings about what's coming up or the transitions or, or the changes in life or the thing that you can't control and and how you're feeling about that to be able to allow that energy and motion to move and then outside of the time that you're setting aside to be able to feel those feelings for the things that you cannot change that's where we want to implement you know the brain retraining rules and tools of we don't let our mind necessarily perseverate on it you know we want to still do things to elevate our emotional state when and where we can and to allow that little bit of buffer as well as we're going through this you know this life process and to me well-being you know, involves our capacity to be flexible, to be able to change in and out of states like that, that is an underlying foundational component of resilience. So whether it's cognitive flexibility of being able to take ourselves in and out of thought processes, nervous system flexibility to be able to move from a stress response back into growth and recovery, or more of this emotional and psychological flexibility that we're talking about, about being able to give ourselves time and space to grieve, and then coming back to you know, that place of, of well-being and optimization of the brain and neurochemical pathways. Does that make sense? So much sense. Yes. Okay, Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's going to be good stuff. Um, I want to kind of go back. I want to backtrack for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, something also that we talked about early on in you were giving some examples is you were saying um, how important it is when we're integrating back into life to continue to catch our automatic negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you have any examples of how somebody, whether they're very early on in their brain retraining and healing mm-hmm. program, or whether they're already integrating back into life, do you have exa- um, some examples of how people could improve this skill? Because it is a skill. It definitely is a skill. And, you know, the biggest component in order to change those automatic negative thoughts, we need to be aware of them. So to me, the biggest component or the skill that we really want to cultivate is the curious observer. And the best way to do that is through mindfulness practices or through, you know, periods of meditation on an ongoing or regular basis. So by mindfulness practices, I mean, there's a multitude of different ways but that, that that could look. But a good example of that would be like what you were talking about, about your now rounds where you're in the moment, in the present, taking in the sights and the smells and the textures and the, you know, colors and all of those, all of those parts to really be present and focused in the moment. And then connecting with the one who's seeing or noticing that you're present and focused in the moment. And it's by cultivating that curious observer that we can start to become more aware of our thought processes and our emotional states. Now, that being said, we have, you know, 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day, we're not going to catch every single thought that we have, even if you are, you know, a super mindfulness guru, right? It's just not, it's just not physically possible. But what we can do is we can use our emotional states as a baseline indicator of where our thought processes are. And this is often, you know, when people are new to catching their thoughts, and maybe not as, you know, fine tuned in the curious observer mode to be able to do that, this is often what I will 
will recommend is to start to notice your emotional states because your emotional states will be an indicator of where your thought processes are. And so, you know, if our emotional state, if we're noticing we're frustrated or we're irritated or we're angry or we're, you know, resigned or whatever that happens to be, you know, and you notice that state within you, you can go, okay, what was I just thinking about? Or what are the thoughts that are, that are coming up right now? And it gives you an indicator. It starts to help you discern, okay, so, so what are the more common, you know, thought processes that we might have that aren't optimal for us to entertain? Another way to do that as well is to ask those closest to you that you have a loving and trusting relationship with where you can, you know, you can even take them through your list of, of automatic negative thoughts or cognitive distortions and say, you know, which ones do you notice that, that I do and get some feedback because we all have blind spots. We all have areas that we're not necessarily aware of that those closest to us or around us can see. And so then once it's brought to conscious awareness, oh yeah, I notice you fortune tell a lot. You kind of predict what's going to happen, for example, when you, you know, go in and do something. So that becomes into our awareness and then we can start to look for, for that pattern or, or that process, you know? Uh, so I would say the those are, are probably the key ways, at least as a, as a starting point. And the more that you cultivate that level of mindfulness, the more that you practice that at various points throughout the day, the more refined you're going to become at really catching, you know, catching what's, what's coming up. And typically, you know, I would say just off the top of my head, the fairly typical automatic negative thoughts that can sometimes come up for people. Um, as they're kind of re-entering life, include things like anxiety and overwhelm because it's that unknown, it's that uncertainty of, okay, I'm moving into a new phase in my recovery. What's this going to look like? How is this going to unfold? And so it can come up in more of a global way, or it can also come up in terms of, you know, new things that, that you're doing. So, you know, nervousness or worrying about how something is going to play out or, or unfold. That's, that's fairly common uh, as an experience for, for a lot of people. Hmm. Wow, that's so true. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, because the limbic system fears the unknown, right? And that's part of yeah. what do we mentally rehearse, why we have visualizations. And so, you know, when you are visualizing and when you are moving into that place of moving more back into quality of life, have not just like the big grandiose visualizations, but have the little day-to-day -day, like stepping stones of, you know, doing things and, and going places that, you know, would maybe considered to be smaller, but you're, you're preparing your brain, you're mentally rehearsing, going and doing more so that when you actually get there, you're less likely to trigger that fear of, of the unknown. And that can be really helpful as well. Yeah, that's so good. And just even hearing you say that is so good because it's like, oh, I'm not alone. That's common. Okay. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Other people are doing this too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just me. <laughs> yeah. And that's where too, I like to remind people, like, you don't have to figure it all out today, right? Like getting back into, into a great life is a process of unfolding. And as I said earlier, we have the benefit of being able to experiment and play with that and, and see what fits and see what doesn't. And, and it doesn't have to be perfect 
left or right, right off the bat. And it is, it is a process of, of unfolding and we can actually have a lot of fun and enjoyment in that process if we allow ourselves to. And that's, again, that perception, how we're perceiving it or the expectations that we're setting up for the experience. You know, if we have the perception of this is a beautiful opportunity to create a life that I want and you're coming from it from that place, it's going to be a very different experience than coming from it from a place of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What now? I got to figure this all out, right? Right. Yeah. No, that's totally true. And I can, I have, uh, I can relate to all of that as well. And it's such a good reminder, like, wait, you don't like you just spent like the last however many years just focused on feeling good you don't need to have your whole life figured out right now but especially when we're a little bit older you know I can attest to like feeling that underlying pressure Uh of feeling like I should automate that should shitting on myself oh I should have this all figured out I should know exactly you know you know when you go through a period where you're not even Real, you're just trying to get have enough energy to get through the day mm-hmm. and then you're, you're feeling better it's like no you're not supposed to just have it all figured out you're not supposed to just know exactly how you're gonna go out back into the world and make your money and do all these things and have mm-hmm. your career you know lined up and it's okay it's okay if we don't know it at any age it's okay if we have to you know if we if we need time to figure it out and I love how you remind us to like make it a fun experience and play with it and mm-hmm. experiment and explore. Like it's, it's doesn't have to, you know, it's just another way that rigidity can show up in our lives. So absolutely. And it's that underlying drive that you're talking about that we want to be really mindful of as we're returning into the world, because that drive is limbic system dysfunction. And that drive is often what has contributed to the development of limbic system impairment, or certainly a vulnerability where then other things have come in and and created an impairment in people. And that's part of that, you know, type A personality perfectionistic, all of those pieces that we were talking about earlier. So as soon as you're feeling that drive and pressure, we want to treat that as a pop or an automatic negative thought and start to challenge, challenge that a little bit for sure. And yeah, and you know, sometimes too, people are trying to make up for lost time, right? That's yeah. the other piece. It's like, okay, you know, so I'm at a certain age and my life should look this way. And, and, you know, I lost all these years. So I have to like cram it all in right now and try and, you know, make up, make up for lost time. Again, that's a fear based, that's an adrenaline based, a stress based perspective that is driving, you know, that's the limbic system impairment that's driving that. And so we want to be, be cautious and careful about that. And, and really, you know, no matter how many years that we've lost, and maybe we aren't at where we thought we would be at this point in, in our lives, you know, that's okay. We can feel the feelings for the things that we cannot change, like I was saying earlier, and then start to cultivate the life that we do want and it's not about you know trying to fit in what what we missed out on it's about how do I create great quality of life from here moving forward and even just taking the time to be present and to savor you know that's giving a richness to your life that you know a lot of people miss out on throughout their whole lives you know limbic system impairment or not you know and so we can start to have a level of richness of life you know if if we're willing to slow down and take the time and be mindful and aware, you know, we can start to have a level of richness of life that wasn't available to us before. And that, you know, sometimes that can more than make up for what was lost. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Okay, Candy, I have all these other questions I intended to ask. This is yeah. very normal. I very rarely ever get through all my questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, I could keep asking you all these questions all day because I love how you explain things. Oh, thank um, you. you have such a really rich understanding and uh, your, I think your diverse background, both uh, professionally and personally, really help you to make so much sense of all this in a really mm. beautiful way. Mm. Um, but I want to be mindful of time. Of course. And I'm open and willing to do this again. You know, if you have lots more questions, we can totally do this again. I would love to do that. Awesome. That's good to hear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but as my kind of closing question before we talk about where people can connect with you and all that good stuff, mm -hmm. um, I guess it, what do you believe is the most important message that you could share today with anyone who's listening, regardless of where they're at in their healing journey? Mm. So I think the most important message, you know, that I can share is that change is possible, you know, and that we are coming to new levels of understanding and awareness of brain, the brain function and how the brain really truly is the control center for optimal health and well-being. And I would include the nervous system in that, in that as well. And to, you know, have that level immerse yourself a little bit in the understanding because when we understand the brain and how how it works it supports that foundation from which we can build our confidence in the recovery process and you know if you're at a place where you're struggling with you know holding that faith or belief know that I hold that for you and that I truly believe that anyone can recover and change their brain function and reclaim you know quality quality of life and well-being by using brain retraining tools and nervous system regulation tools. And honestly, I think this is going to be the medicine of the future and we're just scratching the surface of what's possible. Uh, but finding that confidence, finding that belief in whatever way you can, that change, you know, change is possible. And when you're struggling with holding that faith, allow those around you to hold that, to hold that for you. You know, you're in a community. We're all in this, doing this together. And sometimes it's helpful to think about that too, as you're in the process of recovery is just sensing in for a moment of all the people all around the world that are doing some form of brain retraining right now, you know, you're not alone in that. And that, you know, recovering a quality of life is truly a possibility. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that reminder. And in what ways can people connect with you? Right. So um, the best way to connect with me is is through email. So if you're connecting with me in regards to my private practice, it's candy, C-A-N-D-Y, and then a period, and then thriving at gmail.com. If you have questions for my blog on rewiring your wellness, uh, the email is dearcandyquestions at gmail.com. Now, that being said, my private practice, my coaching practice, is full and so is my wait list at this point in time so unfortunately I'm not able to work with you know any more individuals personally at this point in time um, but like I said if you have questions and you want to fire them to me and I can answer them on the blog I am more than happy to to do so awesome are you on any social media no I'm not good for you I consciously good choose not you. to <laughs> Look at you are not on social media and you are full and, and your wedding list is full. <laughs> exactly. Evidence that we don't need to be addicted to social media and consume way too much of our time on there. For sure. Just 
to be successful. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's just another story. <laughs> it is. It truly is, you know. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I have so. a love hate with social media. Mostly hate. <laughs> I get that. Uh, uh, admittingly. Yeah. Now that being said, um, I do have a website, so that's not really social media, but if people want more information, it's candywittifield.com. Uh, so my last name is spelled W I D as in David, D as in David, I, and then field F I E L D. Uh, dot com. So you can get more information, even if people are interested in learning more about the safe and sound protocol. I've got a whole section on that. Uh, a lot of my website is devoted to Reiki because that was my primary focus when I set it up. Uh, but there is information on uh, counseling and coaching on there as well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I just wanted to say once again, thank you so much for being on this uh, podcast with me because I really appreciate the wisdom that you've shared and how you're able to articulate everything and really break things down for us to understand. And you've really brought to the table some really beautiful reminders. So thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. It's truly been a pleasure. Wow, you guys, didn't I say she was awesome? How about that? We had so much cool stuff that we got to dive into in this conversation. Please consider sharing this episode with a friend who you think could benefit from it. And don't forget to laugh, laugh, laugh. And until next time, create a great week.